0: Hey, my name's Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. In Luke 11, we saw Jesus speaking to the crowds, and we saw him be invited to a Pharisee's house for this dinner gathering with other Pharisees and other lawyers and such. We saw Jesus offend the religious leaders by not adhering to their man-made rules. His authoritative words made clear that God's law and God's way far exceeded that of the law's rules of any man. Now, after prophetically pronouncing three woes on the Pharisees and three woes on the scribes, Jesus left. It seems as though the events of chapter 12 happened pretty quickly after what we just saw, considering chapter 12 starts with the words, in the meantime, which is one of those phrases that doesn't exactly translate so smoothly. A more literal translation of "in os is, under these circumstances, which would imply some immediacy. So Jesus goes straight from the Pharisees to this sermon. When we read the first few verses, I think the phrasing, under these circumstances, will cast a stronger backdrop to what we are about to see. And another interesting thing about this sermon that I'll highlight as we go along is that it is one of the more Trinitarian sermons of the gospel. After our introduction, he will focus on the Father, he will focus on himself, the Son, and then he will wrap up with the Holy Spirit. Okay, I think that is probably enough setup. so let's just get right into Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Quote, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, "...beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known." Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Under the circumstances of that confrontational dinner with the Pharisees, in which Jesus called out their hypocrisy to their face, he leaves there, and thousands of people are gathering together. The crowd is so big, they're stepping on one another. This is what he has to say. He turns to his disciples and he's like, beware the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's telling his followers, hey, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be hypocrites. At the core of hypocrisy, it is saying one thing and doing another. It is being one way in public and another way in private. The legendary basketball coach John Wooden said, Be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are, end quote. The Pharisees had an incredible reputation. People thought that these were the most godly guys you ever did see. They were worth following. They were worth your admiration. They were worth emulating. But what good is that when their reputation did not match their character? When who they were on the inside didn't match what everyone thought they were like. Their character was worthless, hypocritical, filled with self-righteousness, which is void of any real righteousness at all. We all think we can we... keep up the facade of reputation, keep the rot hidden so no one will see. We think we can put on this mask and seem like we are good, but look again at what Jesus said. Quote, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. End quote. Nothing that is hidden will stay hidden. That which you hide in the dark will one day have the light shining on it. Listen, our God is a righteous and a just God. How long do you think he will tolerate rebellion behind closed doors? It doesn't matter what you do in the light if you turn around and do the opposite in the dark. It doesn't matter what you do in public if you turn around and do the opposite in private. Several years ago, the world heard the name Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison was a website which enabled adultery. Members on the site were there to arrange affairs in what they believed to be a discreet and private way of committing these horrible sins. They thought their identities, their actions, their sins were hidden from the world. But yet, Jesus said there is nothing that is covered up that will not be revealed. And on July of 2015, that's exactly what happened. A hacker, or maybe a group of hackers, hacked the Ashley Madison website, and it released All the user data. They released the names, the emails, the home addresses, the credit card transactions, everything. Now, let me ask you do you think the users of that website would have made accounts, would have used that website, would in some cases spend thousands of dollars on that website if they knew that one day all of their sins and shame would be a matter of public record? I think they were able to convince themselves that what they were doing in the dark would stay in the dark that what they did behind closed doors would never be brought out into public. But that's not the way it works. Now, let's look forward to a potential event. Snapchat is such a popular social media app today. It has so many users. One of its features, if you're not familiar, is that messages are deleted. Now, what's interesting about this, and I mean interesting in the worst possible ways, is that under the guise of security that deleted messages seem to offer, Users might, some users definitely do, send things they wouldn't send otherwise. Now here's the thing. Snapchat actually does not and cannot guarantee that every message is deleted off their servers. So hypothetically, someday there could be a hacker or a group of hackers, like in the case of Ashley Madison, that could hack the servers of Snapchat and release all of these hidden messages that people would not want released. There could be a Snapchat hack that will bring many things that are hidden to light. You see, you can always choose your sin, but you can never choose your consequence. Let me say that again. You can always choose your sin, but you can never choose your consequence. Sometimes I I think that if we knew the consequences up front, we might not do what we did. Yet that is not how it works. It doesn't have to be explicit conduct. It often is, but it doesn't have to be. Who are you behind closed doors? Are you the same person in public as you are in private? Are there things that you're worried people might find out about you? Take the opportunity to turn from what you do in the dark. Whatever you have hidden, cast it out. Whatever needs to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, just do it. Listen, Satan will bait the hook with something you want, something that looks so good. You won't even see the deadly hook, but I promise you, getting whatever the bait he has for you is never going to be worth the consequences of that hook because you can always choose your sin but you can never choose your consequence. Let's move on to the Trinitarian part of the sermon. It's going to start with Jesus talking about God the Father. Quote, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows." Quote. So the worst thing someone can do to you is to kill you. Yet Jesus is telling us that life is but a vapor compared with eternity. And there is one who has the authority to determine our eternal destination. There stands a judge. The one who can do that is God himself. And when God is referred to in this way, it is a reference to God the Father. Now, how are we going to respond to this knowledge of God? He says, fear Him. Fear the one who can not only strike you down where you stand, but also has the power and authority to cast you into hell for all eternity. Now, I think most of us have experienced a burn at some point in our life. Like, it hurts and it stings, but ultimately it heals. Now, here's the thing about hell. It burns hot, but never burns up. To be drowning in fire forever is a level of pain and hopelessness my brain cannot begin to fathom, and I am so glad it cannot begin to fathom it. But that is worth fearing. It highlights a couple things for us. For one, it highlights the importance of valuing God's standards over other people's. Considering eternity, how much more important is it to strive to please God rather than to please man? Infinitely. The other thing I think it highlights is God's just nature. All wrongs will be answered for. Whether they will be answered for on the cross of Christ or the flames of hell, every sin will be paid. Every sin will be answered for. I think we can view God's justice and his wrath as harsh sometimes. It is not harsh. It is good, and the way we know that it is good is because it comes from a good God. Let us be clear on that before moving on. As harsh as we may think it is, we have to understand we are grading it as harsh because we have a flawed perspective. Now let's keep going. Look at what Jesus says about the Father immediately after telling us to fear God. Verse 6 and 7, quote, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows, end quote. This is such an interesting statement following God's just nature. It doesn't even have a transition statement, right? Jesus just goes immediately into mentioning the sparrow, something that carries virtually zero value to anyone. Yet though they don't matter to mankind, they matter to God. Even the smallest, the most common, the most seemingly insignificant creature that Jesus could say is not forgotten before God, because God cares for all of his creation, for it is his creation. Sparrows are valuable to their creator, yet watch this. As valuable as they are to God, they've got nothing on the value that God has placed on you. He says the hairs on your head are numbered. Now, I just Googled this, so I really don't know if this is right or not, but Google tells me that most people, if you're not bald, have between ninety and 150,000 hairs on their head. So, whether you have zero hairs on your head... 10, 97,385, or 149,999, God knows your number. With every single hair that falls from your head or grows from your head, God knows your new, updated, and current number. Is that not incredible? He cares for you. He values you more than a great number of sparrows. So there is a truth about God that's not always easy to communicate, and that's partially because where we're at culturally. But depending on what background you come from, you've heard God's justice emphasized over his love, or his love emphasized over his justice. But the truth is that he is perfectly just, and he is perfectly love. And since he is perfection in both qualities, in his just nature and his love nature, we really cannot rightly emphasize one over the other. They are perfection. They are intertwined with one another. Truthfully, I'm not sure we would even know of God's love without His justice and vice versa. Because think of this, why did Christ die on the cross? Was it because the wages of sin is death and the justice of God was compelled for that to be satisfied? Was it because God so loved the world? The answer to both questions is yes. When we really work through who God is and what God has done, it becomes so hard to divide His attributes. He is perfectly just and He is perfectly love. Now, with verses 8 and 9, we're going to move on to Jesus speaking about himself, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. Verse 8: And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. End quote. So now Jesus turns the conversation towards himself. He just spoke about God the Father. He's now about to speak about God the Holy Spirit. And in between those two things, he talks about God the Son. We've got to understand how key this statement is. Jesus is presenting himself as the dividing line between us and God. He is taking on the role of the ultimate high priest, the bridge between the Father and his people. Now, if we acknowledge Christ in our life as our Lord and Savior, then He will acknowledge us in the courts of God before the angels and He who sits upon the throne. But what does it mean to acknowledge Him? Curiously, whenever this word is translated elsewhere in the Bible, it is almost always translated as confess. And I think that frames it in a way that at least where we are now, we can maybe understand it a little bit better. Think about what Paul wrote in Romans 10 verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confession of who Christ is and belief in him is, is the key. I think this frames it in a way we're more familiar with. So have we confessed Christ? Are we willing to confess Christ in front of other people? Would people be shocked to find out that we are believers or followers of Jesus? do we confess Christ? Not only in that initial point of salvation, where we are placing our faith in Him, but do we confess Christ throughout our lives? No matter where we go, is it known that we're followers of Jesus, that we love Him, that we're trying to be like Him, that we're pursuing Him with all we have, that He is the greatest priority and greatest treasure in our life? Is it known that we're followers of Jesus? Do we acknowledge him when good things happen and say, man, Jesus really came through for me right there? Or when hard things happen, say, I will cling to Jesus in the midst of this storm, for though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for he is with me. Do we acknowledge him in all aspects of life? Then on the flip side, when it comes to Jesus before the angel and he who sits on the throne in the court of God... He will be our advocate. I do wonder if this sermon was on John's mind when he wrote the letter of 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-2, through 2, John wrote this, quote, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If we have confessed Christ as Lord, then that means we have that Lord as our advocate with the Father. We have someone telling our case. And what is our case? Well, verse 2 told us our case, that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the propitiation of our sins. In other words, Jesus has paid our debt that we incurred through our sin. And if he has paid the debt, which he has, and the Father is just, which he is, then the Father cannot violate his just nature by condemning us. For Christ was condemned on the cross in our. Now, do you see how the just nature and the love nature of God continue to go hand in hand? They are not opposites. They are partners in His nature, and partners in His rescue mission that He has brought about. When one considers the weight of Jesus being our advocate, we must fear Him as we fear the Father, for they're both God. Now, we have one more section that we will complete this Trinitarian section of a sermon, and it is on the Holy Spirit. Starting in verse 10, quote, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. End quote. Now verse 10 starts us off with a doozy of a statement that there is something that can happen that we can do that we can speak that cannot be and will not be forgiven we can instantly see that there is an offense against the holy spirit that will not be forgiven that we must have fear for the father fear for the son and fear for the holy spirit for they're all god so there is actually a parallel passage specifically to verse 10 It's found in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 30, and I think it will give us a little bit of insight into what Jesus is saying here. So, verses 28 through 30, quote, "...truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit." End quote. So, Considering specifically verse 30, it seems that when you say the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of an unclean or demonic spirit, that is unforgivable. This is definitely one of those verses where it's tough to fully unpack it, but we do know it is the word of God, we know it is the words of Jesus, that it is true. Even though this is a very tricky verse, let it be understood that we should not steal glory from the Holy Spirit by claiming it is demonic. There's another side to Jesus' teaching on the Holy Spirit as well. Those who have placed their trust in the Lord can count on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when believers are questioned by all kinds of powerful people, the Holy Spirit will guide their words. He will be exactly what they need. He will be their provision in their harshest, scariest moment. He said, don't be anxious. The Holy Spirit is going to come through for you. What a gift that is because there's so many times in our life when we're in over our heads and I can't imagine how many more times that would be true if we were in a period and season of persecution if we were in persecution you know everything would be over our heads and we would be even more desperate for the holy spirit's interventions both in the way that we live the words that we speak the, the thoughts that we have, the motivations of our heart. But can you imagine, in a time of persecution, being on trial with people who believe they have your life in their hands, truly it belongs to God, but who believe they have your life in their hands, for you to get up there as anxious and nervous and scared as a person can be and just trust the Holy Spirit will come through for you. Remember, God is faithful. That has always been true. For as Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Trust Him, for He will be exactly what you need. Now be authentic. Fear the Father, fear the Son, fear the Holy Spirit, and experience the love, faithfulness, and provision of our triune God. Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, end quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain. Because he gives purpose, and that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt. At steadfastpodcast